Big Adventures with Brian Durker is supported by Dave Wagner and dedicated to all the scientists and river community who have worked to protect the Colorado River, Grand Canyon, and its environment. Thank you, Dave, for your support of Big Adventures. Hey, welcome, you guys. This is Brian Durker, and you bet it's Big Adventures. I'm not really sure I can do justice on my next guest. He's done a lot of stuff, and he's been a huge character in Grand Canyon. I've known him since the 70s, but he's done a lot more than just sit around when he's not on the river. But he's been a real feature down there in Grand Canyon, being a boatman for a long, long time. And everybody that knows Jimmy would agree with me that you can't really put him in a single box as far as what he's about, what he's done all over the planet. And uh, so I'm really excited to share with you a little grab of Jimi Hendrix because it would take multiple shows to get any clue at all about Jimi Hendrix, but we're going to give it a little bit of a shot here. I'm sure you should settle down and uh, really get a load of Jimi Hendrix with me. I'm with Jimi Hendrix, the nappy-headed white guy of the Southwestern Plateaus. Old friends, we go way back to the Wilderness World days. But Jimmy, let, let's start this little chat uh, with a little background as to, like, where, where were you born? Uh, I was born uh, near the Missouri River tributary of the James River. Uh-huh. which they named me after. My middle name is Douglas MacArthur because my dad and my uncle were both liquored up. As, uh-huh. I was, as I was becoming a post-fetus, they were freaking <laughs> out all about something very important, which was my name, see? So my dad said his name is Douglas after whoever, I don't know. Douglas McCarthy, probably. Well, then my uncle said Douglas MacArthur. I mean, excuse and my dad, me, So I haven't appeased you yet with the, with the name Douglas in the middle. It has to be MacArthur. And then they literally came to blows. And I squeezed out of the vulva or Volvo. Somewhere. Yeah, post-fetus condition and screamed my ass off, and I haven't stopped since. That was on the banks of a river known as the James River. And and what town did you live in? We lived in Woonsocket. Not Woonsocket. Woon. Woon. Whatever that means. Anyway. What state? South Dakota. South Dakota. You know, I really didn't realize how great South Dakota was until I became interested uh, when I was about five or six years old. And I got tired of the uh, nuns and priests beating the bejesus out of me. Do you get it? Be- beating the bejesus out of me. Uh-huh. Got it, got and it, got it. then I would <clears throat> get on my horse and I'd ride over to the natives and watch their parents get liquored instead of mine. So it was a lot of fun being in South Dakota, mainly because of the Native American people that were there. The Olala, Minikanju, and Hunkpapa Sioux. Yeah, I was just getting to that. Um, and so, did you uh, live your whole childhood in? Oh, no. I'm still pulling through it, I think. Yeah, I, no, but your early childhood, though, early? was it all spent there? Yeah, well, it was, all, it was all spent, man. I'm, like, really old. I, but, yeah, it, was all, it all matured there for the first eight years, eight or nine or ten years in there. I don't know, somewhere in that mixture. Uh-huh. But my savior was, like I said, was uh, the philosophy of the natives and the condition of my horse. 
Yeah, those were the key things. I, get I on the horse, get that. the hell out of Dodge, go see my friends. That was everything. Uh-huh. So that began the days of my criminal activity with fences. You, you fenced for a while? No, man, not fencing. <laughs> no, fence. nothing to do with the Olympics either. Uh, nothing really weirded me out too much when I was on my horse, except for the fact that I would look beyond the horse and see things like maybe some buffalo, you know? And so I rode the horse one day down to my friend's ranch, and I went into his dad's workshop, and I got the biggest bolt cutters I could find. And I rode along the fence, cutting the fence every half a mile or so. Ah, uh, and so then they sent you to reform school? No. <laughs> no, they, that's why they didn't give a shit when I'd come home all beat up by the priests and nuns. But you actually did uh, start your schooling in a Catholic Oh, God, school? yes, yeah. The, the oh. native kids all went way towards the res. The Protestants, we didn't know where they went. They kept them in bunkers and underground to protect them from us. And we had a big five-story brick building it looked like a fort and then after the big windows after the eight years or so where where what was the next stop on your little magic carpet ride of life well my father was a businessman you know he was the only guy in town who wore a, a fedora and a suit and i always thought god man why doesn't he wear coveralls and covered in shit like everybody else you know why is he so different and he drove a uh he drove a a real car, you know, like, I think I can, it was a Mercury, yeah. You know how I know it was a Mercury, Brian? We were hunting pheasants, right? I had a 410, and they all had their big, big guy shotguns. And uh, somebody left the keys in the car, so I got really annoyed because I know what happened. Somebody left the keys in the car, so my dad said, hey, go put the keys back in the car right away. And the guy goes, but we're hunting. And he goes, that means, Jimmy, you're going to put the keys back in the car, see? And the guy says, why do you want the keys in the car? Barney. And Barney says, how the hell are my neighbors going to use the car if the keys aren't in it? Besides, it was an old truck. It was, remember that show Sanford and Son? Yeah. It was the same truck as Sanford and Son, that, that old Ford. It was such a beauty. So then I waited around, waited around. I remember this particular day, see, I must tell you about. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting for him. And I remember... My, my 410's all cleared and perfect. There's not a shotgun shell in it. The safety's even on it, you know. And he's always drilling this stuff about, you know, you better, you better clear your weapon and have a safe weapon. Of okay. course. So here he comes, trumping through the cornfield, and he's liquored. They're all liquored. And he takes the end of his shotgun, and he peels open the partially open door because I'm sitting in the truck. And he fires a, actually it was a car because it was a Mercury. It wasn't the Ford. I remember this because it was a Mercury. And uh, he blew a hole through the roof. With his, with his weapon? With his shotgun. It was so cool. Oh, yeah. That's Finally, I one. saw the man in him. <laughs> he shoots his, he shoots holes through the tops of his He's truck. flawed like he, the rest of He us. may not drive a tractor. <laughs> he may not be covered in cow shit. But you know what? He can blow holes through the top of his truck. There you go. Accidental discharge, big time. So where'd you go from there? Um, okay, where did I go from there? I followed the family because they provided food and shelter, and uh, no one would give a 9-, 10-year-old a job. So I ended up in a place called South Phoenix. It was called Levine, and, uh, you know, where orange trees. When I arrived there, I thought it was pretty cool because it was winter. And there was an Olympic-sized swimming pool, and there was gro- we lived in a grove of oranges, Okay. And beyond that was cotton, cotton yeah, fields cotton, and alfalfa cotton, cotton. fields and, and oranges. 
and Bracero's sleeping under them. But one day that changed really drastically when a crop duster flew over and we're in the swimming pool and he dropped his whole load of uh, pesticide all over the swimming pool, all over the house, all over the vehicles, into our windows. And that's, that's another defense I have as to why I am the way I am because <laughs> well I think, I think, you need a lot I of think I've been seriously <laughs> I've been seriously uh, pesticided but then uh, you were in Phoenix for how long when did, where did you go from Phoenix he ended up in a place called uh, like Roseville Rockland around in there and he had two businesses he had a real estate and an insurance agent yeah so he, he continued to provide food and shelter and so where'd you go to high school? I can't remember the town it was in, but it, I got, see, at first I got kicked out of the first high school. Now you're making me go into this painful Just, shit. Yeah, let's get through first, that. First thing was I got kicked out of the first high school in California I was in. They told me, adios, you bad guy. And then I ended up in a place called uh, Roseville High School. We were the Vikings, yes. That's, that was what we were. We're supposed to be. And were you on the? Uh, were Were you a Viking? Were you on no, the different athletic teams? No, they asked me to uh, asked me to do a lot of things, but the only thing I did was I just ran. I ran uh, distance mm-hmm. because I had I had uh, in the morning on the way to school. Now I'm going to start crying. These are tough memories. Yeah, I, I know. Wait, it's wait till you difficult. realize what I'm going to tell you here in a few seconds. It's going to freak you out. So you know how kids are about puppies, right? And, and you know how some people they really like their. Friggin' dogs! Like nowadays, you got to eat with dogs in the highest restaurants. Oh yeah, no, they're out of dogs control. are shitting out all of over control, the beach. Jimmy. So anyway, I got to go to the veterinarian on the way to school because I have to put the dead dogs <laughs> in a freezer. They got to be frozen because he hasn't been there all night, and he's not gonna get there till like almost noon. So I got to go in, pull the the dead ones, and put them in the freezer. And sometimes I just determine that this dog looked too bad, so I'd stick him in the freezer anyway. But no, nah, I'm kidding. But um. Cats, I don't know. For some reason, they spared me the agony of moving around cat carcasses. So then I'd arrive at school in just the most brilliant, positive mood you can imagine with the, the thought and the smell and the blood still in my fingernails of dead dogs. And then it would be first period, and, you know, you got the little hallways and all that. It's a civilized American school, just like that. And then after school, that's when I went to the Circle R Quarter Horse Ranch and broken trained horses and shoveled horse shit and moved horse hay and worked until after dark. And then I went home and went to sleep and repeated it over again the next day. You can tell I'm just absolutely that was psyched your, to That remember. was high school, yeah. Yeah, that was Clear high school. Through, did you graduate? No. No. Uh-uh. But <laughs> yeah, the thought entered my mind a few times. And no question about it. I mean, I knew other kids were doing homework and st- they called it studying or something, you know? And then when did you get into rag A? it had to segue from Jimi Hendrix no the big no actually he wasn't he it wasn't part of it it was uh you know when I was doing the Omo thing in Ethiopia and uh uh, this guy Conrad who was the the chief of our tribe there he was this American guy he was a math teacher and he was teaching uh at uh, this school in Addis Ababa and he was a member of the Peace Corps. And, and for the listener, that this is uh, the beginning of Sobek. Yeah. But uh, a, a company that uh, started river running all over the world. Pretty cool company. You were right on the ground floor of that Sobek thing, right? Somewhat, because Banks couldn't see without his glasses. So I knew how to make him dependent on me, which was so fucking easy. Just take his glasses. 
you uh, were talking about uh, was oh, Conrad. So now I'm on the streets of Addis Ababa, right? Because these guys are like they got homes and they got money and you know they're staying in hotels. So Conrad lets me crash on his couch. For some reason, he finds me interesting. So I started hanging out on the street with the locals, big time. It was a shoot to kill curfew, midnight to sunrise, and it's drastically enforced. So what I would do is hide in different locales every night with different local uh, people. Now, is that was that your first uh, first <laughs> charge with river trips and stuff like that? Was that when you got rolling with river trips? No, but that's when I got my dreads. <laughs> that was your question about forty five <laughs> oh, yeah, minutes ago. Loop it back there. <laughs> Yeah, you, we we do. Uh, I forgot what we're doing this. Yes. We do wander around a little bit, but well, the mind is a what, huge. What got thing. you into river running? Um, I don't know. It was really bizarre, man. I was uh, I got out of the Marine Corps and I was dragging. I had this big sea bag, right? And I had no idea Flagstaff existed. I didn't know the Grand Canyon. I didn't give a shit about Grand Canyon. I had no idea. I still had my Marine uniform and stuff. I was in civilian clothes. I'm hitchhiking. I'm trying to cut short here. I'm at I forty. If there was I forty, then it might have been sixty six. But uh. I'm there, and I got my thumb out, and all I know is I'm going to San Francisco because that's where the hippies are, right? And uh, I'm out of the Marine Corps. I'm discharged. I have honorable discharge. I'm, I couldn't make it to general, but, you know, I got close. Close. Private first class is pretty cool. So uh, this guy, this old geezer picks me up, and he looked like he was pretty chumped out. He looked pretty tired. I go, what's up, buddy? He goes, uh, I'm going to Havasu. I go, whatever. He's going that way. I jump in there, right? And we're going out. It seemed like forever took days and days to get out there. It was hours and hours. I'm going, dang, I got to get out of this. is no fun, you know. And he pulls off into this place called Peach Springs area or whatever. He's heading down that road. And he says, uh, you ever seen the Grand Canyon? Uh, why would I? Of course not. No. I, I don't. What Grand Canyon? Whatever. So park. I go, yeah, whatever. Just keep driving, pal. And uh, all of a sudden, he turns right, and he's going down this dirt road. So he goes down to the Havasu. He gets to the top of Hilltop. Hilltop at Havasu. And uh, I go, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, this looks, wow. i never seen anything like this before. So I jump out of his truck and I throw my sea bag out instinctively just because I don't trust people, right? I'm not going to let this old guy drive away my bag. Can't trust him. So then I see this goofy ass looking because I'm a rodeo cowboy. I grew up around ranchers and stuff. I see this ridiculous looking pack train with this Native American guy on it. I go, what the hell is this, you know? So I'm looking at it. It's pretty cool. He's coming up from up out of the canyon, and he gets there, and the first thing he says is he goes, Simplify. <laughs> I go, what the fuck? He saw my sea bag. He's a Marine, right? He goes, oh, man, who are you? Yeah, what up, hey? So the guy takes, gives him the mail. He puts it on the horses. He goes, oh, you're coming with me. I go, I'm not, what? He goes, yeah, you want to go down to the bottom of the canyon see where I live? Well, yeah, sure. So he throws my bag on his horse, and I walk down there. Make it quick. I ended up in a peyote ceremony about three mornings later at uh, 2, 3 in the morning, and I'm partaking, and uh, crazy things are going on. And uh, I'm like, well, I like this. I could live here. And this old guy, the elder, says to me, he says, remember that you have to make your way down to grandmother. Being here isn't enough. And I'm like... Just a stone old man trying to tell a youngster what to do. I'm not paying any attention to this guy. And, and it just got in my brain, you know. Next thing I knew, I was going down Mooney, running like hell. No food, no water. 
just thinking this was the greatest thing in the world. And I remember my face peeled from sunburn for days after this particular rundown. And then uh, as I got towards the mouth of the river, I looked out there and I saw the river and I went, wow. <laughs> wow. So that was this your is, first glimpse is, of the Colorado. Yeah. I've never been in Grand Canyon in my life. <clears throat> Amazing. Just grabbed me right by the balls and the heart at the same time. I went, oh, my God. And then, and then from there, like, what year is this? Is the early seventies? This is the the between uh, nineteen seventy and seventy one. So it's like March, March, February, March of nineteen seventy one. But this is an incredible thing, Brian. I see this boat. It's all by itself in the mouth of Havasu, and I look down there and I go, "I'm, I'm taking that boat, and I'm going down river." Then I went down to the boat and I just started eating things. There was food everywhere. All of a sudden, I was hungry, you know. And I've been up all night, running all day. So I started eating. I drink this water, and I'm like, yeah, whoever these people are, they sure are nice. They're very generous folks. I really like these people. This is a lot of fun. I was just hike anywhere and just find all kinds of food and a boat. This is great. I'm gonna go take off, see what's down there, and, and I hear this, Hendrix, like not nice, you know. It was like, oh. And I thought, okay, now I'm really going psycho. I, somebody just yelled at me. And I look up, and I go, Steve, what the hell are you doing here? He goes, no, what are you doing here? Oh, well, what are you doing here? And he goes, what the hell? So he writes me a note to this guy named Bob Elliott. And uh, he says, all you got to do now is hitchhike, I remember the address, 1016 Jackson Street, Oakland, California. And I go, Oh, hell yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'll just run on down there. Can I take the boat? Is it downstream? He goes, no, no, you got to go back to the highway. And so that got you rolling with Grand Canyon River Trips. And who was Steve? When I was in the Marine Corps, I was put in this duty. My job was called Suicide Prevention Officer. I remember this guy. He was a student from San Luis Obispo. His name was Steve. He would take these guys that I would talk to him, I'd say, what, what would keep you right now? What would help you to put down that rifle right now? Or the handgun or whatever. Those are the only things I ever dealt with. I never got to see a hanging or a... Or jumping off the cliff. Like jumping off a, you know... <laughs> 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 Nothing real exciting. Because when the gun goes off, you just go, oh, oh, shit. So then, uh, okay, so these guys would say to me, they'd go, I, I just don't want to go back to Vietnam, they didn't. So then I go, okay, let me just try this another way. I'm trying to remember what they told me to say to the people who are in this kind of distress. And I go, okay, let's try this again. What would it take for you to uh, postpone this, what you're trying to accomplish right now? I go, what? See, he's already got his mind off it. I go, what, what would be cool? Think of something that you would really like to do right now that, you know, would be really cool. Like, I can't get you a girl right now. I can't get you drugs or liquor, you know, but what would you like to do, like, what? And he goes, get the hell out of this country and go to Canada. You would go to Canada. You would give up your future and everything. I don't want to kill anybody again. I don't want to see it again. You don't know what's going on there. Just shut up and leave me alone. No. Okay, you're going to Canada. Come here, I got a plan. So I lied to him. I told him all these lies. And then I actually didn't make it happen, but I met the right people, Black Panthers and SDS members. Steve, it was the liaison is that the right word yeah probably so in san luis obispo and we hid them there and then there was a teacher at san luis that we took them to his cabin at big sur and they would hide there for 
weeks, months, whatever, to get the courage to go to the next step to go to Canada. And they basically left their country. But yeah. they didn't kill themselves. Well, not not yet. Not that. Not on your, <laughs> they not still on your time. watch. I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> sure they could figure it out later. Okay, and so then you hitchhiked to the bay and yeah. and hooked up with Bob. Hooked up with Bob Elliott, Elliot, the dad. No, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, Lou. It wasn't Louis Elliott. It was Robert Elliott, his son. His son. Yeah. Um, so the kids today running the show, their grandfather. Their grandfather. Okay. Yeah, Lou. So Bob took Steve's letter, and first of all, I never really liked. I never like really believed that Steve, uh, because he stole the half-track, painted it pink with purple dot, polka dots, and drove it to a town in Florida and got a bad conduct discharge. But I didn't have the balls to do that. I never thought he really liked me much, I, you know, because he always was very condescending, you know, probably because he's a little rich white boy and he's going to college and I'm this loser Marine about to kill peasants for their oil companies. So he just didn't seem to like me much. But then all of a sudden this guy was like a saint, man. He took care of these people. Uh, I really respected him a lot. So, And then, um, so you were with Azra. When did you get rolling with Vladimir Kovalik and that was, Wilderness World? That was, was Arda. And the beauty about Arda was American River Touring Arda, Association. Excuse is, me, yeah. It's like whatever wrote him, oh, that's where I was trying to go, whatever wrote him was not derogatory about me at all. And so he, he gave me about an hour verbal interview, you know. And um, when it was over, he said, oh, you're a natural. You're going to work with Steve, and you're going to be an instructor of the American Whitewater School. And I go, what? Don't worry. It'll be fine. <laughs> You'll fit right in. So me and a guy named Al Dubner, Steve, we ran a Whitewater School. And what the beauty of it was is that every river I got to run, I had never seen it before, and no one was telling me nothing. And I loved that. They just left me alone. Yeah, that alone. was back in the day that of those, self-discovery, yeah, right? Those two guys were so smart, huh? College boys. And they're so smart that they just left me alone. And so I had my students, and we learned together. And, of course, I told I've been here 20 times. Oh, hell yeah, I know where we are. To, where are we going? Yeah, you on? were perfect for the job. We're going downriver, man. That's where we're going. That's why I used to always tell them, where are we going? Downriver. And so then, uh, <laughs> then you went from there to Wilderness World. Sort of. You know, the beauty of Arda was we could work the, uh, the Rogue, the Grand Canyon. Yeah, that's right. We could work Lador Canyon and the Green River. Uh, we could go to the Middle Snake, or rather to the Snake, the Middle Fork of the Salmon, the Main Fork of the Salmon, and the prize of all prizes, the Selway. In 1972, I got my first trip leader license because I didn't get one in 71. But in 72, I got it, and I put it on my wall, man. It said, Selway trip leader. <laughs> no, that, the Selway is truly a gem <laughs> oh up there in God. Idaho, yeah. I was so excited about that. So you moved around. You saw a lot of different rivers. You became a river man. I loved it. And the neat thing about my whole existence is – I just can't create Jack. I, I can't make up things. I can't create things. I'm just like a, a real dumb guy. And so all I can do is react. So these things would just come to me. Forrest Gumpy sort of deal? I don't know. I didn't like that movie so much. <laughs> I don't like Tom Hanks, you know. But uh, you know what I'm saying, though? It's like it was, I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to make decisions. These things would just be there, and they would just be there. Women, parties, going off to Africa, going wherever it would be just offered. So, of course, 
full of appreciation, never took it for granted, never did. I always, every, every day I just went, holy mackerel, why are they doing this for me? Exactly. I think, you know, those were the times, too, where opportunities were plentiful if you had an open eye, right? I mean, that we're young, we're stupid enough to just try anything. And, um, and then I want to talk a little bit about Wilderness World, because that was a classic. Uh, it was one of the last permits ever put out. That and I think John Vale, Outdoors Unlimited, were the two last commercial allocations. Um, a guy named Vladimir Kovalik. How what how how'd you hook up with Vladimir? He was a physicist with the Stanford Research Institute, and he had all these special gigs going at Stanford. So he met this guy Pete McCloskey at an anti-war demonstration, and they hooked up. And he was able to talk to the right people to and, get those final allocations. And what was the other guy? Ron Hayes. Ron Hayes, Ron the Hayes. actor. Lassie's dad. Yeah, yeah. He was he was the guy who fondled Lassie. He wouldn't stop petting her ass. For, I'd like, let go of her butt. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if uh, <clears throat> our listeners that are older probably remember the, the show Lassie. Lassie, the Wonder Dog, and uh, her owner in the, in the, <laughs> in the, the piece was a guy named Ron Hayes, who, <laughs> who was Vladimir's partner, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. They were good friends. They, they, climbed, uh, they climbed El Cap together. That was their big thing they had to talk about all the time. I said, well, do it again. No, no, no. And they were funny guys. Like, they were mad at a cop, a motorcycle cop in Stanford one day. And I guess there's a big arch there on the campus. And they took the motorcycle and they rigged up their climbing gear and they pulled it up in the air and it was swinging there. So they were, they had they fun. Were, they were radical dudes. They, they yeah. were rascals. And I liked, I liked them from the start. I thought they were just, they were just uh, the same way all the original Rivers runner, Runners were. They just let people be. Yeah, you know? no, there's a whole different. Breed I think the Beatles fella, were yeah. there and saw those guys, and that's how they wrote that friggin' dumb song of theirs, "Let It Be." You know, but, but I think they watched how they dealt with stuff. Right. Seriously. And then, how long were you with uh, Wilderness World? It was a great little company. It it was a multi boat road trip company, and there were some great people in, involved with the the company. And uh, but how long were you with? Wilderness World, that's quite a, a while. That's a good children. question because uh, I, I, I let me think of this because a guy named Kurt Hansen, uh, he started pulling me away from Arda, saying you know, and not not by uh, trying to manipulate me or saying stuff to me. He got me towards Wilderness World simply by being more fun. Yeah, and there were and people such as Bart Henderson, Mark Jensen. Oh gosh, Mark Arnegard. Yeah, and there. Tom Olson. And Tom Olson. Uh, sorry, I stuck on Tom Olson. Cause, uh, and a guy named Floyd Stevens. Floyd, yep. So we just had this group of people that was incredibly fun. And they never were sad. They never complained. They never did not work. They never... They, I was attracted to their personalities and the way that they did And the things. vibe, yeah. No, as, yeah. And during those same years, I was attracted to that group and you. And yeah. that's when you and I really started becoming friends. And Kurt Hansen is a, a big story, uh, just to explain that a little bit. He's uh, better known as the whale. But he's, he's just one of many, and I'm going to interrupt yeah. you. It's your gig, and here I am. Screwing. No, no, but it's all you, about you. I want, no, it isn't. It's about you, because I was walking around in some way. Maybe it was between 71 and... Now, let's try to... You can clarify the date, because you were playing defensive end for... U of A yeah, it was team. later. It was late. Later, it was uh, seventy four, maybe okay, that, 75, that, seventy five. It was before but, that. 
and uh, you saw me wandering around. You know, there's that always that lull after the river season where a river guide goes, oh, God, now what? Oh, yeah. What? I have to, like, stand here and wait for the stoplight to change? I'm going to walk across the street now. Oh, God, I almost got hit by a car. Oh, oh, where am I? I'm back. Signs, rules. What time is it? People actually are using watches. It sucked. And I was walking around Flagstaff going, you know, I'm, I'm going to the wilderness somewhere. I am leaving here. And it was, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it might have been Christmas or it was, I think it was Christmas because I was I'm so embarrassed because I didn't buy anybody anything. Or maybe it was Thanksgiving and I was so embarrassed because I farted at the table. Something happened anyway. <laughs> so you, out of nowhere, you just walked right up, this massive guy hanging over me, and he says, what are you just walking around for? You look lost. I go, well, back then we just said, I need a place to crash, and I'm hungry. Now they say I'm homeless. But uh, you just perceptive. You were incredibly intelligent, super gracious, and you just go, oh, come on over. I'm, I'm, I think you were just starting to play with stuff and uh, thinking about doing a ski shop. And you were talking about how you're going to buy a planer. And I'm like, whatever, dude, who cares? You go, you go home to your nice house. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go catch a bus to somewhere. Hell with this town. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting at the Durker table having a meal. And I'm with your mom. Yeah. Yeah, I remember just, that. Just like that. And basically, that couple of hours changed my entire outlook on, on, an, on my entire life. That's a beautiful damn story, Jim. But back to whale. Yeah, <laughs> whale. No, I, I appreciate. It. I, I remember that well. But whale also spent a lot of Thanksgivings and Christmases <laughs> at my mom's table. <laughs> she was loved. Uh, she, he was loved by everybody in this community. And there's a foundation uh, called the Whale Foundation, which is uh, to help. Uh, exactly what Jimmy is talking about, the uh, wayward and the lost boatman that's uh, having to figure out what he's doing with his life during the off-season, or in some people's cases, struggling with, uh, in Wales' case, it was Vietnam and the three uh, traumatic tours that he spent in Vietnam, and oh, a lot of, a lot of different elements went into this foundation that's uh, thriving today. It's a it's a real part of this community and stuff, and it's uh, named after uh, Kurt Hansen, Whale. But uh, to Jimmy and I, he was uh, a best friend, and uh, he lived in my apartments for years. And yeah, he was best friend to everybody. Yeah, no. He, he would listen to anyone. He was an amazing guy. And uh, he, uh, he, I think, affected a lot of our lives. And uh, his passing uh, through suicide, unfortunately, uh, really impacted the the whole community um and uh, actually there will be more stories about mr kurt Hansen. you know I you mean, guys you guys were just kids oh you guys were so soft with that subject it's like i i remember it's like dude it's just another day i mean this is a decision he made yep and he screwed up and you know it's just like your friends who get liquored up and they're driving too fast and they crash and kill somebody and, oh yeah you know it's a bad decision at a bad moment and uh we, but maybe we it's, moved on. Maybe it's uh, not the really the subject here, but what was the subject was his impact on the community and the place. <laughs> and I don't think anybody has more things named after him 
than whale. There's the Whale Rock Enhanced. There's yeah. Whale's Armpit up in Marble Canyon. Yeah. There's the thanks for remembering lineup, <laughs> the lineup rocks <laughs> in in these different rapids. I mean, uh, no one hit the Whale Rock. He didn't realize that he was going to be put know. down in infamy. He didn't for know, but you know, all time. he was a derelict, and uh, you know, you, you look at because I'm going to challenge you this on this because you know the Canyon Bear and I do, and you know all the names, and you know I don't know half the names because. I've blocked them out. Right, right. Because I got so disgusted about 72 or 3. Everything has to be named, and none of the names are real. It's like, anyway, so what about that derelict who lived up that creek with the white mule? And now we have Hermit Rest, Hermit Trail, Hermit Rapid. Louis Boucher, yeah. Hermit Creek. And then next door is Boucher Rapid, Boucher Canyon, Boucher Creek. So I think Wales, like... Second or third. Yeah, second or third. Yeah. But as far as uh, our, our compatriots or our modern day uh I could still guys, smell that mule yeah. in the early 70s. He was modern <laughs> enough. So the, the uh, wilderness world ended up getting handed off to Kyle, and one thing led to another, and uh, wilderness world sold, which is today's... Canyon explorations and expeditions and stuff like Probably that. Probably the most angriest day me and your precious brother. Yeah, that was a difficult ever shared. Time. Me and Daniel were so angry that day. My my brother Dan oh. worked for the same company. Oh uh, my God, we Wilderness were World. So then, since Wilderness World, you've been working for Arizona River Runners pretty steadily for a long time. And I, doing- I have my other businesses kind of. I started a river company in Tanzania. I yeah, started let's get a really to that. good river company in Alaska because I was able to siphon the Sierra Club trip leaders off of Vladimir's Wilderness World ticket because Vladimir was so beloved by the Sierra Club that they only went with him. And he loved them and, and they loved him. And so I became friends with a lot of them. So then I said, hey, uh, they'd say, I go, well, this is like your fourth trip with us. You know, would you like to go somewhere different? And I stole his clients, kind oh. of. So I go, well, why don't you bring a Sierra Club trip up to Alaska? I'll take you up to the Arctic. We can see the caribou herd, the biggest land migration in North America. What do you say about that? And they're, all of a sudden, boom, it's booked, and here they come. Yeah, and they, and, so and you, were, you were in Denali? Yeah, I lived outside of Denali, a place called uh, Cantwell area. Because across the, across the river from my place is the Denali wilderness area within Denali National Park. And I became the intermediate paramedic for the Cantwell Native Corporation uh, because I was 10 miles from the fire hall. And I got sick of driving by because I put on gloves and I go. And I'm like, finally, I just said, you know, I'm doing all this on my own. I should get some uniforms out of it. And so they gave me jumpsuits. And, but I was manipulating them because I wanted free education. So they kept sending me to different classes in Anchorage and Fairbanks. And, and they were really smart about that. And I actually learned some things. I was really appreciative of them. I, I thought they were really good to me, and uh, I learned that way. And then uh, what rivers were you running with your company up there, the, the Nanana? Yeah, and- the Nanana, you know, it, it's great. I mean, it, it's certainly fantastic, but it's short run, and it's going to be over in four hours. So that's a one day. And my favorite, I mean, we won't go by my favorites. Let's go north to south, the Congakut, which goes from the top of the Brooks Range, flows into the Arctic Ocean heading north. You're landing in a in a ice fields, and then you're ending on the shore of the Arctic Ocean. Yeah, well, fantastic. And my schedule was every night is a layover. So you go to camp, you camp. The whole next day we leave the river, we hike. 
We walk as far as we can get, as far as they can go. And I never stop till they're, can we turn around? Well, and you've got endless daylight during the yeah, summer months. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, it was fantastic. So, and then I have my giant 375 H&H mag in her arms that'll blow the bejesus out of any bear that bites any of my clients. Would give you a little comfort, wouldn't it? You know And then times, what other rivers? The Congo Okay, we're going south. We got the Congo Cut. We got the Hula Hula to the, to the uh, west of the Congo Cut. We got the Firth to the east in Canada, which the Sierra Club wasn't interested in that much because it's trouble with Canadians. And then going south, we had uh, that we took people on the 40 mile, the Talkeetna, uh, the Copper, the Nazina, and uh, I think that's getting close, yeah. And then the Nanana. Oh, the Nanana, yeah. Your home river. The Nana is on sea. We're, we're being like this about her because she's flowing on my, she's a property line for me. And there's a stream that is a tributary of hers, and she flows into the river. It's also my property line. One of my ex-wives lives on the other side. So uh, it's, it's just heaven. It's friggin' heaven, you know? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Sin- oh, man. <laughs> Since then, uh, you've actually put a lot more time into Grand Canyon. Yeah, I was running, you know, luckily I had this friend named Rob Pedagora, who was a big part of the Whale Foundation. And Robbie, he, he kept bringing people up to my trips in Alaska. And he actually made me some money, and I made him some money. And so our friendship grew. And then he started moving me into doing these spring and fall trips with oars, working for George Went. And that was really fantastic because he has these charters and those trips are, are different. They're charters. And so you meet these super groups that all know each other and they were wonderful trips. And on that went around for years and years. And then uh, a situation developed of some kind, which is none of my business really. And then, but it was my business because all of a sudden he's leaving uh, oars and moving to a company called Arizona River Runners, which used to be run by a big bloke named Fred Burke who I always called an inbred redneck moron, and he'd get very angry. And I, I had a hard time getting along with him sometimes, so I thought, this is really funny that I'm working for Arizona River Runners, you know. But there was this guy who was different than all the rest, who I don't remember as an outfitter. I remember him, like, welding things and being a working class, really workaholic, and, and his name was Gleckler. Yeah, Mike P. And, uh, yeah, so Robbie went to him, which was, brilliant move because he's fantastic and uh not saying anything bad about anyone else but he's fantastic and that's how we moved there and up to this day you've been you did some robbie pitagora trips this year yeah i, I just I'm got off aware of that yeah and i yeah, peeling the sunburn off still. i think you guys came off a couple of days before we did or before we left or something like that well i've got a couple questions that ask i ask some questions brian for christ's sake i I'm going to start crying over here. Well, this you know, mush. this is pretty emotional stuff, Jimmy. And uh, obviously, uh, we haven't, like I've said so many times, how do you, uh, how do you uh, keep people interested for more than 15 minutes? Well, that's one thing. But how do you get all the stuff that uh, we can talk about, your career and stuff, in into one hour? But we're going to try and do that. I, I have a question about, you know, I think you've already answered it, the, the effect of basically the wilderness, uh, how that shaped your life and probably continues. Do you have any yeah, thoughts all, on that? Yeah, we all need an income. We all need money, you know, no matter what. So I think the whole thing of me running a river just came so natural and unconcerned 
and all of a sudden I was being attractive to other industries. So I was approached by a fellow rabies survivor. We, that would take an hour of its own to talk about the rabies. Yeah, what, the rabies but thing, yeah. me, I, I'm a rabies survivor from Africa, and my other buddy got bit on the face of, by a bat on the Tuolumne River in California. And so he had rabies. He knew I was in the vicinity, and he came to see me in Alaska, and he hired me as a professional hunting guide. So my hunting career went like skyrocket because this man is the greatest bush pilot and the most ballsiest, craziest dude I've ever known. And then that turned into a, a profession of being a, a racing sled dog owner as I was doing thousand Which is dog races. Uh, we'll have to get that on yeah, our that's next visit thing. to sled. But that's what running rivers does to you. It, uh, I can't explain it. It makes you. I'm not going to say fearless because that is not the case. I am hardly fearless, but it makes you unconcerned about things i i don't know how to explain it just, it's called not sweating the little stuff yeah, things it? are gonna work out no matter <laughs> what as long as you can talk and run away from but it, it really uh what i'm hearing is it absolutely shapes your life in a, a lot of ways and I'm, no question I'm, gives I'm, you self-worth uh, i'm close enough to you to where i know it's done that to both of us yeah in a, in a real similar fashion you know, the, the, the way things are going with the environment and the encroachment of population and the um, cars and the westward movement is obviously still happening and stuff. Is there something we can get across to people as to how to manage and save the importance of our natural world or the wonder of our world? Is there still hope for the way society's going, do you think, or...? I don't, I don't want to be the guy who brings all kinds of bad news, but the reality that I see in front of us now is the Sierra Club and David Brower and Martin Linton and Vladimir, they all started correctly. They knew, and also Robert Kennedy. And they saw it coming people. from a long ways. Robert on. Kennedy and the Udalls. That, look, we, we don't want to overrun places and destroy them, but if we don't get people in here to see these places, they're not going to understand what we're going to lose. And it worked really good. But then we developed a commercial industry around everything that was sellable. And that is our present situation. Mm -hmm. So that the only people who actually get to encounter this most incredible things that there are on this whole planet are the wild rivers. So who gets to go see them? The people can afford them. What does that exclude? God, I mean, you can go, to, you can go on and on and get depressed about it. Yeah, people of color don't see it. People who are, who are poor don't see it. People who are working class don't see it. The only people who get to see it are the people who can afford it. And if you look at the trips, who the hell can afford a trip anyway nowadays? Yeah. And well that's said. the situation. And so we're preaching to the choir over and over and over again. And it's just like the study of uh, dictators and stuff. They Propaganda works. You blast something into somebody's head over and over again, they'll believe whatever it is. Every yeah. time. And these people who are just told constantly that you are not worthy to go to this river. You are not worthy to go to the Serengeti. You're not worthy. You just go, go to the playground, you know? I mean, it would change people so much. And I, and I think the thing about youth and the guns and the violence and everything, all that stuff would have a huge effect because these frustrations that are running so deep, especially amongst youth and people who vision themselves as being oppressed and not allowed... I don't know what the word is, but anyway. That, that works. They, they, there's, you, you know exactly what I'm saying. If they could get out there, they would realize. Because, you know, people just don't, re they don't see 
I don't want to use the word nature. They don't see the interaction of wild animals with each other. They don't see how they adjust to and, and formulate their day's activities to what is the weather doing. They don't have a set plan for anything. They don't do everything the same every day over and over. They react to the world around them, but they react in a positive way. So a lot of these kids, when they get scared nowadays, I, I can't explain what, what's going on. I think that is really well put, and, and uh, it, it really honestly comes down to it being a part of individuals' lives once you have that. It's, it's a tremendous effect on not only individuals, but society. I think that's really interesting point you bring up as far as accessibility you know, to that marvel we call the wilderness and rivers. And you almost answered the, my next question, and it's a little more of a, I'm almost scared to ask you this next question, but in light of the shrinking of some of our natural set-aside lands like Bears Ears and other places and uh, the reduction of our Endangered Species Act and some of the stuff uh, going on up in, on the Alaska uh, oil fields or, or uh, protected lands and stuff there. Do you, is that pendulum going to swing back? And are we? No, it's not. I, I, you know, the thing is, once you, uh, once you go up to a man and you slice his face with a razor and you kick him in the balls, the relationship is never the same. And so, you're looking at a situation here where there is no turning back. There is no. You don't get another second chance. You don't get a free pass. It's over. So we got fossil fuel industry people in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge today figuring out leases. We have people stomping around the Southwest talking about uranium mining. It just goes on and on and on. We got people damning the little color. Damning the little color. I still can't believe. Okay, that one. I, I don't even. I you know I don't even want to go there. So it's a dim picture, isn't it? it? Well, it's not. It's like only if we look at it that way. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like today. I remembered, we can't open that chapter either, but I remember seeing the Kurdish women with no headgear, no hijab or whatever they call it. And I'm serious, man. They wore lipstick. They wore jewelry. They were awesome people, okay? I'm getting a little pissed off. So now what they're doing to them is they're, (laughs) it's just unbelievable. Well, it's the same thing with these rivers. It's the same thing with these mountains. It's the same thing with these wilderness areas. Wherever you go, now, I can only speak for the American West. I'm too ignorant about the East, especially the South. Okay, But I know the places that I love, I can just think of them. And every one of them are like the Kurds right now. They have no friends. They have nowhere to turn to. No one's looking out for them. And what do we do? We go have a steak and, you know, watch the World Series. The thing is, I think you understand what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't really need to keep opening up the carcass. Just well, it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult question, and it's a difficult answer. And it's like you were but just I talking it's about, clear. again, it's personal. You know the place. You were there. Exactly. You saw it, and now it means a lot to you, and you know the place, and you know what they're doing, and it's inexcusable. And it's Look, I don't want violence. I was there in the riots and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's another old chapter, too. But look— you know, I think the thing happening right now in Hong Kong is showing that it doesn't work. And all the people that are dying in Chile right now today, it doesn't work. The minute you go to violence, I don't want to be corny because I don't believe in all the other things, but once it just brings more violence. Yeah. And that there's a reason that MLK King, Martin Luther King, changed this world 
he never hurt anyone. So just like my father, I grew up, I was like, why doesn't he hit anybody? Why doesn't he argue? Why doesn't he yell? Well, I think that creates empathy, understanding, and a desire to learn about things. So you don't have that uncomfortable feeling of, okay, maybe it's selfish. Maybe it's very self-centered. The fact is, we do not want to suffer the loss. Exactly. But if they don't know the loss, how are they going to suffer? They don't know what they're losing. And if you keep bringing the people preaching to the choir over and over and over again, bragging, you know what's really bugging me nowadays? I'll tell you. Is my clients sit there and go, well, last year I was in Morocco, and the year before that I, oh, you know, I was in the Himalayas, and before that I was in Chile, yeah. And it's like, okay, so what? Give them a trophy. Give them another medal. But get your ass out there and work, you know, and I don't know what to do because nobody wants to hear me because I just upset them. So. Well, we want to hear you, and we just have heard uh, a smattering of what you've got. <laughs> um, anyway, quite. In, in closing of this, though, I, I think that's uh, really well put, uh, uh, really nailed some of my own thoughts in a way. And uh, I certainly appreciate, you know, your perspective on that. And uh, we'll have to do this again. Uh, promise me that. It's just a humble attempt to communicate and well, decipher then, what these. You feelings know the beautiful thing about into, the podcast know? here is it's a voice in uh, the free world, and it's a beautiful thing that we have the I opportunity to have right these now. conversations. <laughs> we have uh, these conversations. Uh, I feel like they're super important, and appreciate your insight on the world like that. But uh, thanks so much, and uh, we look forward to that next visit, Jimmy. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, I love you, man. <laughs> Big Adventures with Brian Durker is supported by Dave Wagner and dedicated to all the scientists and river community who have worked to protect the Colorado River, Grand Canyon, and its environment. Thank you, Dave, for your support of Big Adventures. Big Adventures is produced by Brian Durker, Margaret Knight, and me, Gavin Bugner. Bill Gleckler and his mandolin provide our music. If you like our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. These are not little shitty adventures, goddammit. That's uh, big adventures. That's... <laughs>